0: You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite catching app, or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Our study tonight, Galatians 4, uh, verses 1 through 7. It's a little bit bigger chunk than we have been taking, but it's a complete thought, and it is, the I think, uh, uh right place uh, to... Uh, have our division. Uh, The Apostle Paul is going to be talking and explaining more about the things that he had begun uh, before the end of chapter 3. We'll read the text, then go back and set its context. Galatians 4 verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under the guardian's and managers, until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, so then an heir through God. So what we have titled tonight's sermon, Galatians 4, 1-7, is Now Sons and Heirs. Now Sons and Heirs. So before, though uh, everything belonged by promise uh, to uh, these folks and to those of faith, but it wasn't received yet, (coughs) they were, as it were, Paul says, a slave. Now, this is all about the place of the law, the law that did not justify. This is telling us the great glory that's now in Christ that wasn't there before. And I almost have to think that to the Jew... Some of these things would be a little insulting because they had a much different conception, a much different picture in their mind of how things were uh, under the law than what Paul describes. But Paul describes the truth in Jesus Christ. Again, uh, the entire uh, section, uh, uh, the entire book is about the revelation that's given through Jesus Christ. That's chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 2, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also who have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul went on to quote Genesis, saying that uh, Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness in chapter three, verse six. And those who then were of faith were sons of Abraham. But those who were under the law were cursed. Quoting again from Deuteronomy, Chapter three verse ten for it says Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them, so as many are of the works of the law are under a curse. And Christ redeemed us though from the curse of the law. Paul then talked about what the Scripture, the Old Testament was for. The Scripture shut everyone under sin, that's three twenty two. The Scripture was added because of transgression. That's 329. But 323 Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 323. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, but now we are not. So that's what Paul's going to describe again tonight. That captivity was un- that was under the law, that law which was the guardian or disciplinarian to bring us to Christ, but now the faith has come, we're no longer under that system. So Paul goes back and explains some more about how that works and about how we are now sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All of those who are of faith, who've been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, and there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ, you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, you are heirs according to the promise. So, Paul is going to go back and explain that a bit more in this section as we read chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, that we are now sons and heirs. Now, just to, to point out briefly, uh, sons here uh, is, is literally meaning son, as in male children, Uh and that, that includes, of course, the, the women, the women disciples. So we saw back in 3 and uh, uh, 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, but all are sons. And the reason why it's important that they're sons is that the sons had rights of inheritance. So everybody, no matter who you are, gets treated as if you were a son. So not just as a child, but, and today we don't have that where, uh, the, the children, uh, only the male children inherit. But they did then, and Paul is letting them know that everyone is in this inheritance. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or a Greek. doesn't matter if you're slave or a free. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. So it doesn't matter any of that. Everyone's treated like a son with full rights of inheritance. So he says, first off here in chapter 4, you're no longer minors. Now, we already had some of that. We had the guardian, the custodian, uh, the disciplinarian, the tutor, depending on the translation. We had that uh, law, which was a tutor to bring one to Christ. And he, Paul says, it's, you're, we're really glad that we're done with that now. Verse 1. Now, I say, as long as the heir is a child. So he's the heir. He's the heir of all things. It's all, it's all going to be his. But at the time that he's a youth, and under these uh, custodians and guardians, uh, these pedagogues, these tutors, these whatever, while under them, it says he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he's the owner of everything. So it's all going to be his. But right now it's not. Right now it's held in trust for him. Right now it's reserved for him. Uh, right now uh, there's, there's a big thing coming for him. But right now he doesn't have it. And he might as well be a slave in the sense he's under somebody else's control. He's under somebody else's direction. Somebody else sets the course for him in what he does. He doesn't get to choose. He gets to have the education. He gets to have the experiences that are decided upon by the father until he reaches the age of majority. And so uh, that's how the law is. The law is this direction of God. The law is this custodian of God. The law is this uh, director of experiences, so that you go through these experiences, you learn these things, you you have these lessons taught you, so that when you are free, you'll be ready for that freedom. When you do reach the age of majority, uh, you'll be able to responsibly and well use these things, which are your true and rightful inheritance. But that's not where you are now. Where you are now is verse 2, under guardians and managers. Under guardians and managers, the King James says, tutors and governors. So there's these various folks uh, who are guarding you and guiding you uh, and and, and having authority over you. And and they uh, they, they set the bounds for you. And they show you and teach you these lessons. Again, as the Father directed, under the Father's oversight, and you, wanting these things uh, you know, to be over and, and wanting to reach your, the age uh, that you can have uh, what will rightly be yours, well, you can want it all you want, but you don't get it until the date set by the Father. So the Father sets the date. The Father says how long this uh, uh, you know, the experience of, of guidance will last. And so it might be until you're 15. Might be to you 25. Just depends on what the father says of when the son is going to have everything and no longer be under this, uh, this tutelage. And so we think about even like in the realm of, of kings, uh, if a king uh, ascended the throne and was coronated uh, as a minor uh, in, in the age of minority before responsible uh, enough to take over his kingdom, uh, even though the whole kingdom and the whole realm is his, there's a regent. There's somebody put over it until such time as he is ready to, to have it. And so it is here. The children of Israel are under a, a, a regency, under a managership, under a trusteeship. There, there's somebody looking out for them and making the decisions. And they're greatly limited by these things until whatever time is set by the Father. So we, verse 3, so we, uh, while we are children... So we're we're minors. We're not reached the place of maturity. We were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. And so you can't turn over the keys of the new car to the kids. You can't give them full access to the bank accounts. You can't give the kids control, even if it's all his. And certainly, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, uh, didn't they prove themselves spiritually and morally? Uh, to be rather childish, the complaining from the moment they exited the Red Sea, from the golden calf incident while Moses was up getting getting the law of God, uh, the constant carping uh, and rebelling during the wilderness wanderings. Uh, That generation passed, the next generation was more mature, and they did some better. They still had idolatry and unfaithfulness. They proved themselves totally unworthy uh, to guide and guard themselves. The the terrible statement repeated twice in the book of Judges, chapter 18 and chapter 25, that there was no king in the land, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Then they got a king, then they rebelled against their king. They weren't faithful to their king. They didn't listen to their prophets. They were morally and spiritually children. Children in the in the lustful and uncontrolled sense uh, of, we think, of children. There are positive aspects of children and childhood, and Jesus mentions those, saying, unless you become converted and become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the trust aspect of children. But when it comes to the self-control aspect of children, these folks needed somebody to guard the cookie jar because they could not be trusted with it themselves. And so they were children. Now, the Jews probably wouldn't like to think of their family history as childish, but that's what inspiration calls it. So they were under bondage. They were under these trustees. They were under these guardians. They were under these managers. Uh, and under, it says, elemental things of the world. Now, that's an additional insult to the Jewish mind. They had this exalted view that the law was the, uh, the epitome of spiritual grace and, grace and perfection. That the law was, uh, you know, the uh, the heights of moral development. The Apostle Paul says, nope, it's elemental. From the same root we have the word elementary. It's basic. Uh, so uh, this is not the only time Paul will say this. In chapter 4 and verse 9, a little bit later, Paul will talk about the weak and elemental things uh, that to which they want to be enslaved again. In the book of Colossians, Paul talked about the elemental principles of the world. In Colossians 2 and 20, uh, he talked about uh, those uh, elementary principles of the world, uh, which they would just submit themselves to, such as don't taste, don't touch, don't handle. And the book of Hebrews goes with the same theme. The book of Hebrews talks about the outer tabernacle as a symbol for the present time. Even the temple, the tabernacle, the temple, they thought that was the uh, the center of all divine grace, but instead it was just a symbol, a symbol, and with it all the rituals of the law. This is Hebrews 9 and 9, that temple was a symbol for the present time, and accordingly both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which can't make the worshiper pure in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until a time of Reformation. And so, uh, in a way, to use this analogy of childishness, uh, the law uh, was the uh, list of regulations of things like, brush your teeth and wash behind your ears. You know, you you get to be old enough in life that nobody tells you anymore, brush your teeth and wash behind your ears. But then if you go in the community, what do you notice that some people really need to still do? They need to brush their teeth and wash behind their ears. Maybe wash their mouth out with soap as well. A few other things like that. No, they're they're not mature. And the, these these type of teachings and these these rituals of the law, from the uh, uh, the sacrifices and all of the other things that went with it, even to that great and marvelous uh, building there, the the height of the height of architecture on earth, uh, the height of beauty, uh, and and uh, spiritual place on earth that was still just a symbol. That still wasn't the reality. That still wasn't the the, uh, the heart of the matter. But those things were needed, uh, just like you teach the kids these basic things until, Hebrews said, the time of reformation comes. And so that's a reference to the gospel, to the blessings and benefits and the glories of the gospel. These things stood until the glorious gospel came, but now that we're no longer minors, now that we're no longer children under uh, this setup uh, uh, under under this setting, uh, now uh, we can now we can uh, do so uh, very much uh, better and so what we do now have is we have our adoption our adoption that is uh to bring us fully. Uh, to God, and to have everything uh fully uh ready, so now we are redeemed for adoption. so verse four, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, because your sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So now we've come to free and total sonship, which, again, contrasts uh, contrast to this uh, being a ward. We've gone from being a ward and held in custody to being a, a free son with all the rights and privileges uh, thereunto. So we're now a, an adopted adult, which that's not quite how we often do it we don't often adopt adults uh we we adopt children uh but in this case we are we are children but at the state of our adoption the time of our adoption with god we're not childish anymore uh, we're free and a full son now in the ancient world there was at times adoption into a family of adults adoption of especially of young adults into notable families in which they were then given all the privileges and rights of that family and so that's the kind of thing we have here and so when the fullness of time came, now that fullness of time goes right back to verse two, it mentions the date set by the father. So when, is, <coughs> when does the ward, when does the minor get to say, hey, I'm an adult now? Well, when the, when the father said, when the father lets him have that, that privilege, it's under the father's control. And that's what the fullness of time is. At that time, which God had said. And so we think about, like, Mark 1 in verse 15, that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So the time is now. The time is ready. It's the time now for this to occur. Now, if you lift this verse from context and take that marvelous phrase, fullness of time, and apply it as to why, and think about why it was that the time of the coming of Christ the time of the coming of the kingdom of God in this sense, uh, was, it was ripe. It was good. It was, it was a suitable, beneficial, and wonderful time for it to come. You can have a, a lot of uh, good history and background in the New Testament and talk about the fullness of time in that way. And I like to do that, and I've done that. And it doesn't take much to give me an excuse as to uh, go, go off into a history lesson. Y'all know me. But that's really not what this passage says directly in context. The fullness of time here relates to the time set by the Father of verse 2. And so why was it that generation of Jews uh, who were given the opportunity to see the Messiah? Why was it at that time that the Messiah came with this gracious offer and not before? Because it was a time set by the Father. And so God had been working a plan for a very long time and whatever else we might say about the fullness of time in regards to geopolitical developments and, and uh, the common language of the world and, and, and the spread of, of uh, Jews throughout the known world and the, the, uh, the, the uh, Word of God and the Septuagint being uh, one of the best-known books of the ancient world at the time. And so many people knowing about these things, even though they weren't Jews, that's all well and good. Uh, but, uh, and that's, it helps explain the gospel's advance. But it's not in this context exactly, the fullness of time. So the fullness of time is when the Father said. So when the time was fulfilled, when it was ready by God's time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, The the, the Spirit overcame Mary, and she was uh, with child, and he was born under the law. So Jesus was born as a Jew lived as an obedient Jew to the law, and then he brought through that and the fulfillment of all the prophecies, the things that were necessary, uh, so that, verse 5, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law. So the great promise, as we saw back in the last chapter, was through Abraham, and it's by promise that Jesus comes. But the law had been given in the meantime, and God's people <laughs> those descendants of Abraham those descendants in Israel uh, they had lived <laughs> under the law and so Jesus lived under that same law that those descendants did and he he kept it uh, they did not uh, but he did and he redeemed he redeemed those under that law he redeemed those who were under that curse we've already seen back in chapter 3 Cursed is everyone who lives, who you know, uh, who lives under the law to uh, keep all of it. Well, Jesus kept all of it, and so Jesus was then able to redeem them. So we have a, a di- couple of different figures here: this uh, figure of adoption, but we also have this other figure of redemption, uh, with that uh, uh, often said as ransom. And so, uh, Mark ten forty five: the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom. So he's a ransom or a redemption. Uh, they were in bondage to sin. Uh, there, was a, there is a debt uh, that sin racks up. And so uh, we think about it, that is a debt we cannot pay. And so we're enslaved uh, by our sin. Uh, we are trapped by our sin. We are ransomed or redeemed from our sin. And so uh, those who were held captive have been set free, Uh, that payment uh, uh, that was demanded, uh, that payment was made. And so he redeemed those who were under the law. And so now they can be adopted as sons. And so it wasn't just that they were minors, they were. It wasn't just that they were minors, now come of age. But in their youth, in their juvenile years, well, they'd become quite delinquent. And so they're set free from the consequences and curse of that by the redemption, by the ransom, so that, verse 5, we might receive the adoption as sons. And so whatever impediment there was, whatever debt of sin was owed, uh, whatever things were between uh, God accepting these uh, who had been unrighteous, and remember the great call from Romans, God redeems the unrighteous, right? God justifies the wicked. That was all taken care of so that they can now be adopted as sons. So from minors and wards and captives to sin, they are now adopted as sons. And so it's not just the story of little orphan Annie who gets adopted by Daddy Warbucks, it's the story of juvenile delinquent and criminal, uh, you know, uh, uh, rebellious Annie, who's a ward, who gets a pardon and an adoption at the same time and a transformation of heart. So from minors and wards and, and uh, uh, captive in sin to all of that being taken care of to now being received as full, responsible, responsible, adult sons who have been adopted and now who are going to have the right of inheritance. So all of it, all of it is, is theirs. All of it will be given uh, to them. So verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father. And so, as sons, we now recognize what was given to us through the Spirit of God. Here, the Spirit is the Spirit of His Son. And we think about John 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And so the Spirit which gives life, that life-giving Spirit given to our hearts, and we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. We are His sons, and now we can cry that out in... In the most intimate uh, and 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 fullest of ways, and we'll note that phrase "Abba, Father," uh, which basically is "Father" in two different languages, "Abba," the Aramaic word for "Father," and then we have also in the text the Greek word for "Father." Uh, so, uh, actually, I can't remember right now what the Greek word for "Father" is in Latin. It's it's a it's "Pater," and so uh, we have the Aramaic word and the Greek word. For Father, both repeated. And sometimes we'll do that. We'll repeat the same word or repeat completely synonymous words for effect. So someone says, do you agree? And we say, yes, I. Right? The I, A-Y-E. Uh, the old that old English and especially Scottish use of the word for yes. We say I uh, when we mean really yes. So we, we don't use our regular word for yes to mean yes. Uh, we might shout yes. We might also say I and yes, or uh, we might uh, uh, do the same with other words where we will give two versions of the same word for emphasis. And so here it is. We have this double uh, uh, double wording of Abba, Father, 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 uh, Daddy, Father, uh, as it were. Some don't like to be that informal with the word Daddy, but uh, we have this double word to stress and emphasize how thankful we are, how close we are, and, and the blessing that's been given that we are truly now his son. So, not that juvenile delinquent ward anymore, no longer needing the custodians, no longer needing the tutors, the guardians, the managers, the trustees, whatever word, not needing them, but now a son. And thank God, for that, so verse seven. Therefore, you're no longer a slave. Again, held in custody, he said you were tantamount to a slave under the old arrangement, and that's if you do it well. But once you did it poorly, and held in, uh, you know, needing ransom and redemption from sin, held in the bondage of sin, all the more you're a slave. But no, you're no longer the slave. Now you are a son those elementary things that you didn't even do those well you're free from that we don't need that so what does another passage say let no one act as your judge about these festivals and these sabbaths and these new moons and all these other rituals and forms and ways of the law it's it's not it's not needed anymore it's not it's not proper anymore it was only to lead you to Christ anyway And now you've been led to Christ if you have faith. You've been adopted. You're no longer a slave under all that system, but you are now truly a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. So as we said at the outset, again, why it's important, it's in the masculine here, because in the ancient world, there weren't the inheritance rights uh, for the females. But now the, the girls are treated just like the boys. Uh, the girls are going to be inheritors uh, just as as uh, the boys are. The daughters, as well as the sons, are all going to equally have this. So, this is the glory of the things that are done for us in Christ and through faith and that were not accomplished under the law. And so, you cry, Abba, Father, thank God for this or as Romans 8 summarizes it, Romans 8, 16, The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So this is our inheritance, an inheritance, Peter says, which is imperishable and undefiled, that will not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible Way makes.